Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First. This is the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. This is a special episode of Last Things First. Today's guest is the Upright Citizens Brigade. When Amy Poehler, Matt Walsh, Matt Besser, and Ian Roberts moved from Chicago to New York City in the mid-1990s, the last thing they thought was that they would become teachers and mentors. And yet, just like their own mentor, the late Del Close, the UCB4 as they've been known, have influenced an entire generation of comedians and funny actors who have starred in many of the sitcoms and movies you loved in the 21st century. I spoke with the UCB4 at the start of their 17th annual Del Close Marathon. Plus, I learned the UCB origin stories from the likes of John Gemberling, Mike Raviglia, Charlie Todd, Jason Manzoukas, Bobby Moynihan, and Zach Woods. So let's get to it. How many talented comedians and actors have come through the UCB system over the last 17, 20 years? But it sounds like you didn't imagine that that was going to happen, that you would have four theaters and training centers on both coasts. So what made you decide 17 years ago, 18 years ago, that in addition to trying to get a sketch show sold to a TV, you were going to open up a theater and you were going to teach classes to other people? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I feel like aim. Well, every step has been organic and not planned because none of us consider ourselves theater owners. We're comedians, so we didn't come out to New York to be theater owners. We came here to be comedians, and every move we've made has been one of necessity, not one of meeting a goal. So, I'll just repeat what I said at the theater, but like. At first, it was, it was every step was organic because we didn't think about teaching workshops. We came out here, we were doing something, we were doing Chicago style improv, which was pretty unique at that point in New York. People saw it, said, Let's, can we learn how to do that? We taught workshops with different improv groups that were already established doing their own thing. That led to people who weren't necessarily already in improv groups starting with us saying, you guys should teach us class. And we were already barely had any money, so it seemed, yeah, why not? Eventually those classes became, well, this they know how to do a Herald now. Where can they do a show? And now so now we're starting to rent space beyond just for our own shows, which is already really expensive. We're spending like five hundred dollars a show, you know. So at some point the economics became obvious that at the first place, Solo Arts, we were renting half the week, and, we're, and it became obvious if we're going to rent half the week, we might as well just have our own space, so, and so on and so on, and it just, every new move was, well, there's this demand, let's do it. There was never a plan, like the move to LA, even then there wasn't a plan, but when I was out there and other people who missed the theater here, how could we not open another place? Here in New York, were the four of you the original teachers as well? Mm-hmm. You didn't bring other people from I.O. or... or well, eventually. We brought Kevin Mullaney eventually. Uh, i trying to think who else we recruited. I mean, eventually the people who were in the first improv group, like Conroy, Delaney, Daly, 
Billy Merritt, they all became the first generation of teachers. And they and also there's the fact that they they weren't completely new to improv, period. So they were a little bit more refined than maybe a level one student would be now that hasn't done any improv. So we, the first generation was really strong. And uh, they became teachers right away too. So we didn't really need to recruit from Chicago that much. Do you think because it was also before the internet really took off that that had an impact? Like say if you were, if you were moving to a new city as a group now, you might not even care about a theater or classes. Or was that kind of in your DNA that you wanted to pass it on? It would sound better if I said I wanted to pass it on, because Dell definitely wanted to pass it on, and that's why we're all here right now. But I, I want people who want to do improv to do it the way I think it's done best. I, I weirdly don't have a... I don't need the whole world to sing in perfect harmony either. Um, so I'm not going to pretend to be that guy. But... Uh, I love improv, I love the way it works, that's why we wrote the book. I think even as much, we love doing it, but we also love talking about it. We are fascinated by how it works. We were there when a lot of discoveries were being made by the, the master, Del Close, was leading us through all these experiments where there was actual like, wow, we're making this form better. And not just us, other groups in town, you'd go see shows and say, wow, this is all, something's actually happening here and and then when we wrote the book it was like oh we're talking about something that hasn't really been codified and term set so that was really fun so that that I get I like I like the scholarly side of improv yes if that's what you're asking I don't know so the the way that things organically develop also kind of tapped into things that you actually believed in and wanted to pursue even if you didn't know it at the time. Yeah, I guess so. Like, like even the book started as we're going to do an oral history of like improv. But the more we did the oral history, the more we were like, it's more interesting how improv works than the history in our minds. As we started to start to talk it out. So we never even had a plan for that textbook when we started. It was a plan for a different book. Okay. Everything's kind of like that. Like even even UCB comedy. It uh, it just started as a place to put videos up because that's what was being done, and now they're making branded content. And, you know, multiple beta teams. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like even that wasn't a plan, and, and I think. Ian talked about that. That's, to me, the secret of the business is not making... Maybe it's not a secret to everybody's business, but we don't didn't make goals. We didn't have big long-term goals. Just things happen when they needed to happen. So when these, when these younger improvisers, like uh, the person from Columbus who wanted to start a training center there, when these people in other cities are looking to you for advice... That one in particular... I was a little suspect because Columbus doesn't sound like a big town to me. It sounds like it's probably... 
I think you have to have a certain population in a city to support a training center, it sounds right. to me. I don't know what the population of Columbus is. It has Ohio State University, so it's a big college. That's true. That's true. But you would think college students would have their own scene going on at Ohio State. I, I don't know. I don't know. But to me, college students starting a training center, that sounds a little suspect. Like, I don't feel like I was ready to start one until I was in my 30s. I've been doing it for years. And I think in general, you got to prove yourself anywhere before you complain, can claim to be an expert, you know? I, I feel that's the same way with stand-up comedy. You see a lot of, a lot of, almost every city has stand-up comedy classes, and you may not have heard of the teacher before. But people line up for those classes. It's weird. A stamp class is weird in general. Like, I think you could teach a workshop. I think there's only so many things you can teach a stand-up. So those are always a little suspect. I mean, I taught, I taught that in Chicago because some guy asked me to when I was in my early 20s. And I was like, all right. And I just made up a curriculum. But all I was really doing was, all right, do your set. And here's my opinion on your set. But the audience can tell you that. Did you manage to have any famous graduates? No. It's a terrible, <laughs> terrible class. Much uh, better as an improv sketch teacher. Well, it's what made me doing that class made me realize you can't do a class on stand-up. There's certain things I think you can learn, but I think you learn those things after going to, after you've done six open mics, all those things, naturally, you find out anyway. Right. You know what I mean? That's, that's true of so many fields of business. That's why they have apprenticeships. Right. You go out in the field, even with journalism, I didn't go to journalism school, and whenever somebody asks me, should they pay money to go to journalism school, I say, no, get a low-paying newspaper job, or now I would say an online or a magazine job, and learn on the job. Right. Some people just think that all comedy is the same, or it's like art, like someone could be a natural sculptor, like could be just a natural, I can look at an animal and carve it out of wood without any training, but I don't think anyone could be a natural glass blower. You know what I mean? Like, that's a skill you have to learn. Someone's right. gonna have to teach you how to do that. Once you learn it, then you may be a natural at being a great glass blower, but you still have to learn techniques in glass blowing where you may not have to in sculpting. I feel like the same is true with sketch. Yeah. Because there's a certain way to write a sketch. You don't just go, oh, it's a story. Oh, yeah. It's a funny story. Well, no, I, 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 I put improv and sketch in the same boat. Yeah. So, yeah. So. Wow. So, where do you, uh, since you, since you didn't drink any of this up, do you, do you have no, you continue to have no goals for UCB going forward? Or? Well, we're starting to develop TV shows and stuff. And I think we can't announce anything yet, but we will soon and I think that's it's always what's the next stage right. and as we're going what's the next stage the world is making stages different platforms literally different right. stages and we've always when we were first starting always joked you're taking off we always joked when they'd say what's your goal we would say our own TV network but now it's like that's kind of realistic at this point like if Netflix is it's basically its own network or Hulu you know what I mean now that, like even Hulu five years ago wasn't given the respect it is now like it was like oh that's some weird website but now it's like oh this is 
should be treated almost exactly like a TV network. They're making TV quality shows, so why aren't we calling it a... Uh, we have to give it the same respect. And once... I guess Transparent is an Amazon show, right? Transparent was the one that did that for Amazon. Right. People weren't taking Amazon seriously until Transparent. Has it gotten an Emmy nomination yet? Uh, I think today is the deadline for the Emmy ballot. And has any Hulu show gotten one or a Netflix show? I guess Netflix, Netflix has. Netflix. So I guess that was kind of a milestone of internet equals TV now. Well, in places like Funny or Die isn't a TV network, but they've sold multiple shows at this point. Right. So the model is there. Yeah. Yeah. Take, you have all this talent. Yeah. Why let them all go to ABC and NBC and... Netflix and Hulu and or they will and we'll make the show for them to do that yeah, yeah exactly that's the best part of like it used to be I have to get good until someone in the industry gives me the thumbs up and approves of me and agrees that I'm good and now it can just be I can literally make the thing I want to make and put it on some platform and make money with it can you ask John a question, please? Hey, John Kimberly. John Kimberly, I do, I, do, I do have a question for you. Yeah. I, I've, I've, asked, I've asked Besser and Walsh to Shandy. I've asked them about, about the fact that they've been able to develop so many talented comedians over the years, the ECD system. What, what? They've also had a lot of duds come through this. They, yeah. They've tolerated a lot of duds for years. John Kimberly. <laughs> when did you, you were 18 yeah. when you yeah. started? Uh, I, well, oh. Yeah, when did you when did you start? When did you get I booked? started in November of '99. I was 18. And what, what 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 hooked you in at 18? Um, I don't know. I you know I never like I wanted to be an actor, and then I was in a band, and I thought I would do that, and then I never was like I want to be a comedian, but I liked the show. I was a fan of the show. Um, that part the, the yeah, yeah. I'm surprised you didn't want to be a comedian. You must have been the class clown or something, right? It's but it but it wasn't you had a funny band, I bet. Yes, yes. Uh, but just the idea of like acting was, you know, was what I thought to do as. But like, I mean, like, I guess I thought of comedy as stand up, and I didn't necessarily want to do stand up. Um, and I didn't know anything, you know, I didn't necessarily think of sketch as being something separate. You know, it was like comedy was stand-up, I feel like, and acting was acting. Um, so I started to, my friend Doug was taking a class. He, like, knew that there were classes, and so I went and took a class, and then he didn't stay past, like, level two. Um, what was your first class? My first class was Kevin Mullaney, uh, 101. Improv or sketch? Improv, improv. We didn't have sketch. Well, you, there wasn't sketch until, I mean, I think I took one of the first Ali Faranakian's sketch class, I think was one of the first. Um, I took a, Jackie Clark was in that class, Brian Husky was in it, John Bowie. Um, and then, yeah, I just stayed and 
did it. And I mean, I took classes. I, I hadn't even seen shows at the theater that much before I, I saw maybe like one or two. So it was really just your friend pulled you in. One of those classic stories where you're going with a friend to an audition just to support them, and then suddenly you're auditioning, and then you get the gig, and then you're in show business. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I was interested in it. Um, but you weren't seeking out, oh, this Operate Citizen Brigade also has a class here. No. No. Um, and Matt wasn't even teaching classes anymore by then. Was I in L.A.? No. No, 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 no. You were there, but you stopped teaching classes. I was sort of disappointed because I wanted... I liked Matt from We both like NoFX. We connected with our NoFX shirts. It's my early memory of Gimberly. But also, I always... You know, the, the big thing was Matt was, like, you know, really harsh in class and would give you the straight dope. And I felt like that would be good. I felt like a lot of teachers, it was a lot of like positivity in the class, which is good at the beginning, but after a while you feel like, you know, I feel like positivity is more than ever in improv classes. Not our school, but just in general. Well, positivity Did you hear all these questions? That reflected that today. People wanted improv to solve their life problems, and I feel like everything is awesome. Come on, guys. Everything can be awesome. But I feel like from the business standpoint, that that's part of the reason you have like such a big community. You know, people are drawn in by the shows and the talent and all that. But I think they stay because that positivity aspect gives you the feel. Even if you aren't somebody that's going to be able to make it in the long run, it makes you feel like you can for as long as possible. And that's the truly insidious part of the class system. <laughs> They draw that hope out <laughs> with positivity. <laughs> Keep those students. <laughs> it reminds me of that video I saw recently that compared improv, the improv class structure to the Scientology. Yeah, that was funny. You just have to keep going up level. <laughs> That's true. But so, yeah. So, what was your first UCB experience like? Um... I remember the first show I saw. I remember going in, uh, I was doing a play in the city, and I walked, was walking down the street, and I wasn't very happy, and I saw the Upright Citizen Brigade sign, and I was like, well, I love that TV show. I didn't know they had a theater. So I went in, I walked in to see the show, and Ari Bukitis was performing, and I had known him from a band that he was in in high school called Scott King Crab. Because we grew up near each other. And I remember watching that show and thinking, I'm quitting everything else, and I'm doing this. And the next morning, I quit everything, went to UCB, and signed up for a class, and I've been there here ever since. What was the first class? Uh, it was a Michael Delaney. It was a Michael Delaney class. It was just like an improv class. But back then, it wasn't all these, you know, it was just like improv. <laughs> it was like we practiced. Did you imagine at that moment how... Oh no! Influential that choice would be in your, your absolutely, career, I, absolutely life. not. It changed. It changed. Everyone says like SNL changed your life, and I say no. I wouldn't be on it if it wasn't for the, for UCB, and and all my best friends are here, and yeah, no, it was yeah. You find your place and you stay there. So, 
Is that your advice to any young person looking for something? Find your place and stay there? Uh, go to UCB and meet <laughs> as many people as you can and be around funny people and be nice and never be mean to anybody because I just had a student come up to me who I used to teach and like give me a job like you know like now it's like you can't be mean to people <laughs> like it's your old students or somebody you were in an improv show with once 10 years ago right. could give you a job that's how many people have come through the system <coughs> yeah it's insane it's crazy they're, they're, all the pictures on the wall like I don't know anybody because there's so many uh, such an influx of new people but that makes me happy because it means the place is flourishing well I'm happy that you made it through Bobby Moore thanks yeah me too <laughs> <laughs> My first UCB experience was the Delcos Marathon in 2001, um, which I think was the second Delcos Marathon. And I had a buddy named TJ Miller, who I had met at a drama summer camp, and he invited me to come see his college group from George Washington University perform at the Delcos Marathon. And I had just moved to New York City about a week prior and not, had not been to UCB yet. So I saw TJ's uh, college team do improv and caught a couple other shows, and that was my introduction to UCB. Did that hook you on it, or did, you, did it take further? It immediately hooked me on it. I walked into that theater at 22nd Street uh, and 7th Avenue, and it was like, oh my god, this is where I'm going to be forever. Like, I literally thought that. I was like, this theater is so cool, everybody in here looks cool, the comedy is like nothing I've ever seen, and I came back about a couple weeks later and I saw a Herald Night, and then I really got hooked. Signed up for classes, and that was it. So then from there to improv everywhere, how much of what UCB taught you, or even the spirit of Del Close, how much of that was a factor in Yeah. Um, I started improv everywhere a little bit before I took uh, my first UCB class, but I sort of, both of my UCB world and my improv everywhere project sort of evolved in tandem. And so many of the people who were performers with me in my Improv Everywhere videos were all my level one classmates and my level two classmates. Um, and the teachings of Del Close, as taught to me by the Upright Citizens Brigade and, and their students, um, were about you know agreement and about yes and and all the sort of basic you know improv principles that I. Even though Improv Everywhere is not improv at all in any way, there is sort of a spirit behind it that is saying yes to fun ideas, trying something new, supporting each other, uh, and agreeing with, you know, getting on the same page and, and keeping a straight face. Well, I guess in Improv Everywhere, it's the audience that's improvising. They yeah. Because know the script. Right, yeah. So the their reactions are all... Exactly. The improvisational element is that we're performing out in public with people who don't know they're part of a performance, so we have to adapt to how, how they respond. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I can't believe you saw T.J. Miller's college group. I know, yeah. I, I knew T.J. when he was like a junior in college, so I did not think he would uh, go on to... Well, actually, I did. T.J. was hilarious. I mean, I'm still... I'm, const I'm impressed with what he's done, but I can't say I'm surprised. He was hilarious back then, too. <laughs> I'll make sure I ask him about that. <laughs> thanks, Charlie. Yeah, thanks. So, what was the first thing that hooked you on improv? Whose Line Is Anyway was the first thing that uh, introduced it to me. Uh, I thought it was so funny. I watched that. I'd come home from uh, high school, and I'd watch uh, General Hospital with my mom, and then I'd watch Whose Line Is Anyway on Comedy Central, and I thought Ryan Stiles was just the funniest, funniest guy I'd ever seen. And I got a chance to finally do it in college, and immediately after that first show, I was like, oh, I, I, gotta, I gotta keep doing this. 
I didn't know I'd keep doing it for the next 20 years. Uh, if you told me that, I'd probably be like, no, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll get back on this attorney game plan. But, but once, once you get up that taste on stage, you, just, you want to just keep, keep getting more. I love sketch as well. I think improv was such an easy entry point for me that immediately you could you could collaborate and and surprise yourself. And so for me, that was an easier thing to grasp right away. I think the sketch element is something that I also love because you're able to you're able to curate and revise. And I think that's an important part of any kind of creative process to have. Whereas improv, you're just you're just instinct. And so. I think it's good to have a diet of both, whether it's stand-up or sketch, you should have something that is critical, but improv also allows the, just, the, just the freedom to, to flow, and I think like that, is, that has always been something that's, that's helpful for me creatively. Now, I know you had a, a two-person show or a dual act in Chicago. Yeah. Was there much of a debate about whether to go to L.A. or to come to New York? At the time, I think there was, there was a, a debate with with everyone I talked to in Chicago. It was usually New York and most people were going to LA. For me, I always found New York just to be a fascinating, lovely city. And if I was gonna fail anywhere, I'd rather fail at a place that's inspiring, unique, and like home of so many talented people. And you can occasionally see somebody take a shit on the street. But that seems like a place I gotta check out. LA, you're just in your car the whole time. You never get to see anyone shit on the streets. And you still ended up with a TV job in New York out of it. It worked out, it worked out great. So. I made the right choice. Fuck all you other people who went to LA. Alright? You bastards. Wrong move. Nice <laughs> video. Hey, Cameron, today's sure. What first hooked you on improv? Do you remember the, that first show or experience that, that got the bug in you? I'll be honest, the first thing that hooked me was not anything I did, it was what I saw. Like, I saw. Um, and this is, you know, uh, as a kid, I think, and I might have this wrong, but I think PBS started airing the British Whose Line Is It Anyway? Somebody did, and regardless. And it was seeing it, seeing improvising being done, which hooked me before I ever did it. Um, and, I, and I remember being, like, very impressed by it and fascinated by it and curious and... This was a time that there was no internet, so I just had to wait until it aired more. Um, and that's really it. And then when I got to college, there was an improv group that I saw perform that I then was like, oh yeah, it's that. That's that thing I saw on TV. I want to do that. They were also doing short form. They were form. doing short form. Um, and so I auditioned and got into that group eventually. And then that group spun off a short form, a long form group rather. So, you know, by the time I was through college, I was doing, like, short-form shows for, like, big audiences, and then really small, long-form shows that were, like, Herald-based, which was, I mean, I probably spent more time doing those things than any kind of academic pursuit, legitimately. Is that how it evolved into it? For the most part, yeah. Um, I moved to New York, you know, a couple years after college, right around the time UCB had moved to New York. So I started, the, and I knew that I wanted to improvise. Um, do you remember your first experience with the UCB people? I do. I saw. I went to see what was supposed to be the sketch of Saigon Suicide Squad, but it was canceled that night because 
one of them was missing. Uh, and I can't wait a minute. I think I think Amy was missing, and so they just did an ass cat. Um, so I watched an ass cat in the red room upstairs at KGB bar, and the cast was hey, huge. And the cast was the UCB without Amy, um, Stephen Colbert, uh, I think Brian McCann, and somebody else. And it, and I just remember being like blown away. Yeah, I, that would blow. Really amazing. Mind. And Colbert was had only just done the Dana Carvey sketch show. That's what I knew him from, and was like, I can't believe it's that guy from the Dana Carvey sketch show. You know. <laughs> But at that time, I'm, he must have been on The Daily Show by then, but maybe I just wasn't dialed into that. I'm not sure. Or Exit 57. Yeah, I can't remember exactly, but whichever. Um, I remember seeing that and, uh, and being like, oh, yeah, this. And then uh, they were teaching classes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, started, you know, I started in when they started having shows and classes at Solo Arts. But you still make it make it a point to come to this marathon and do improv shows oh, yeah. in between always in between TV and movie gigs. Always. How important is it to always? Oh, have I love it. I love it. It's the best. It's like um, it's both a super fun, you know, a super fun festival, and and then it's also like homecoming. Yeah. It's also like oh, I get to see everybody from Chicago. I get to see. It's like very. It's like a fun. It's fun that, to see everybody, and it's also it, there's also something that like because I was at the first one, it's very nice to continue to be at them. <laughs> and even though I've missed them here and there, it's a uh, it's one of the best, you know. Well, it's fun to see you, Jason Manzikas. Always a pleasure to see you. <laughs> Thanks. So I just have one question for you. I know there's I've seen the video. It's been a while, but I know the, the video of a teenage Zach Woods talking about improv and the UCB. Oh yeah, and that New York One thing. Yeah. yeah. So you were already in deep at that point. What yeah. was your first UCB experience? I took a level one class with Billy Merritt. I'd never seen improv, and on the first day of class, he was like, everybody go around and say what brought you here. And I was like, train, because I thought that was going to be really funny. And he, he would have been well within his rights to tell me to go fuck off, but he was very patient and an amazing teacher. And then I got more and more involved at UCB. So what did bring you to that class? Uh, what brought me to the class was I had wanted to be a musician. I played trumpet, and then I got braces. I couldn't play trumpet anymore, so I had all this free time. And my brother had been to UCB because he went to college in New York. He told me about it, and it sounded interesting. So I just signed up for a class. And how old were you? Sixteen. And there was there was no age requirement. No. Like and one thing that's nice about UCB is it's like it really is like. People sort of treat you... It, it, I never felt condescended to or anything. No one ever talked down to me. I was. I never felt like I wasn't given opportunities because I was young. Like, if anything, it probably helped me because it was like, oh, this is look at this. This is so weird. There's this kid here. So it probably helped me get to know people earlier because I was unusual. You also probably, being so young, didn't have as much to deprogram. Yeah, that's probably so true. Young and malleable. Yeah, and right. Neural plasticity, right. Not have all these other ideas of what comedy is. That's true. I think that's maybe true. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
it was fun I used to love it and uh, like just coming up to the city and I having a secret comedy life here it was awesome when you were doing it at 16 and 17 did you imagine that it would lead to all of this in your life and your career no it still feels slightly um, unreal sometimes I really my biggest dream was to like be on a great improv team like I just wanted to do that I remember saying to Katie Dippold who was also taking classes at that time and who wrote The Heat and is now writing Ghostbusters I was like if I could just temp and then do improv at night I'd be happy if I could be on a team like The Swarm and then I got to be on a team with people from The Swarm and it was like I could not believe my good fortune and then everything subsequently has just been like crazy I just I'm, I'm, I feel enormously lucky well, I'm lucky that uh, you're always in good projects, too. So that's, uh, yeah. That's great. Thanks. So thanks for taking a minute. Of course. Appreciate Good that. talking to you. Sean McCarthy from the Comics Comics. Hi, Sean. Good to see you. Now, I know the UCB was already kind of in its infancy when you joined. Did they have to convince you to join, or did you have to convince them, and how did that go down? Well, we... Oh, God. I, you know, I kind of remember this, but um, <clears throat> we... Um, went to uh i was there in chicago and they were doing shows matt and ian were doing shows with neil flynn and adam mccabe walsh and i basically joined ucb at the same time so walsh and i came in for a show called thunderball and then um and then uh I don't remember this, but no, they definitely didn't have to convince me. Let me just get to the point. No, I was happy to be part of the show and part of the group. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mike Perviglia. Yeah. You were yelling in the background of my interview with Amy Poehler. Oh, is that what was happening? Yeah. See, I was just making fun of the fact that, like, there were photographers uh, shooting Jordan Klepper on the red carpet, and then there was a moment where something happened with... Shannon O'Neill and Ellie Kemper, where all the photographers left Jordan out to dry and ran over to Ellie and Shannon. And so I was just making fun of that idea that you would just abandon someone there. And so I took out my camera phone and started photoing them. Especially since Jordan is currently on television. Yeah, Jordan's a, a huge television star. Ellie is on internet TV. She's internet TV. That's like a web series. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Mike, I've been asking uh, some of the other improvisers around the room what first hooked them into improv and the UCB specifically. It's funny. I think I, I was just saying to Polar, I think, not 100%, but I think I did the first DCM 17 years ago. I think I did. I think my college You're improv. Not old I, no, no, really. I think my college improv group drove to New York and did the first DCM. I'm almost sure of it. Or at very least the second or the third. I had a group called Little Man. Yeah, Nick Kroll. Yep, yeah, yeah. Nick Kroll and a bunch of other people. And uh, yeah. So yeah, it's it's I love this I love this festival. I think it's so much fun. I think it's such a blast. I, I always there's so many good shows like Casey and Woods, Mother, my DC you know, my dream show, the UCB four here. It's just like nonstop amazing shows. And in my show, A.D. Bryant's playing, Jordan Klepper's playing, um, Chris Gethard's playing, Shannon O'Neill, Ellie Kemper. It's a monster group. Now, My Perfectly is Dream, that is a recurring show. It is. Where you, Every Wednesday. You kind, of, you kind of curate it. How do you how do you decide who's part of the Dream cast? Is it just... It's just all my favorite improvisers. So, like, in some ways, it's who's around that week. 
of my favorite improvisers. Because, you know, SNL, people will play when they're available or around. Like, Daily Show people like Klepper will play when they're around. But they're busy people. But who's your first choice? Who's your first choice? Who's your first? Who's your I will favorite say, of all of them? A.D. Bryant, number one improviser in America. What makes her? She really is. What makes her your number one? She is, if you imagine, like, playing catch with the wall when you're a kid, and the wall always gets the ball back, A.D. Bryant can make any scene work. I've never seen anything like it. She makes every scene work. It is, she's unstoppable. She's a really... She's just a she's a phenomenal uh, actress and uh, comedian, phenomenal. But there's so many great people, and Zach is amazing. Zach was gonna play with us, but he can't because he has another show at the same time. It's a it's good fortune that talented people have come through the theater, and I don't take any responsibility for their success. But I'm glad that they can get turned on to the same art form that I went crazy for when I was a young man. It's neat to it's neat to witness that in other people. But that but that wasn't even like a strategic business plan when you moved to New York. It was more just like no. Any we group. wanted a sketch show. Yeah, that was our goal, and the improv show was an afterthought. But the, then the theater and the training center, the way it just kind of exploded, that was all just kind of very improvised. I think the beginning of it, but we made a real effort to make the curriculum consistent and logical, and we wrote down things that people could take away so it wasn't like lazy in any way it was like once we had level four students we wanted to make sure that every teacher for example in level four was teaching the same thing so a lot of work went into it once we had the momentum of success I guess and it was always with the spirit of Del Close in mind what he taught you guys we made it our own truthfully I mean definitely all the core tenets of what we learned is still in the work but I think we modified or explained or changed terminology and I think we blew a few terms out of the water that we had been taught that we disagreed with. So it was a real thoughtful, arduous, tedious seven year process.
we were performers, they wouldn't let us store our props at the theater. <laughs> so we'd have a theater where you could store your props. We would lose money by having to rent space at a theater because, because we'd only have two people in the audience. So we weren't gonna charge performers, performers for space. The successful shows would subsidize the less successful shows. Um, and and all winning butts in the seats. Yeah, more yeah that, that was the anything. reason for that. We yeah. had a thing, like the way we'd say it is we'd rather have uh, 10 people at $5 than to have five people at <coughs> Yeah, just do the work. <laughs> 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 This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. <laughs>